I am Matt Pullman. And I'm Jonathan Emerson. And this is a podcast where we pour a drink, we watch an episode of a classic TV show where the characters are in a play, and then we talk about what the show got right and what the show got wrong <laughs> about life in the theater. Life in the theater. Sure. <laughs> Today we watch Family Guy, season two, episode seven, called The King is Dead. And this is the episode where Lois is directing a community theater production of The King and I, but then Peter Griffin takes it over and it becomes the Peter Griffin production of The King and I. And it goes about as well as you would expect um, him behind the helm of that show. So before we get into the show, what are we drinking today, John? So today we are drinking Golden Starfruit Tea uh, created by, it's a it's a, ble- a tea blend created by the lovely folks at Spice Professors. Uh, we discovered them in Bryant Park, uh, New York City, uh, <laughs> yesterday, I think. Yeah, yesterday, uh, during a little shopping excursion. Uh, they were wonderful. We picked up uh, not only this tea, which uh, I'm trying now for the first time. It smells amazing. Pretty much everything in that store smells amazing. Yeah, if you're in the New York City area, in the Bryant Park... In the Bryant it's, the Park winter, Park, it's the winter, winter market. market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So usually the... There, there's a shopping center in Bryant Park, which is usually only pops up in the holiday months, but I guess now it's year-round? I think I they extended so, it like through mid-month is what, what he had said when uh, when the um, when we were at the store, but I, I could be wrong about that. I, I mean, it is way past the holidays. Like, yeah. it's, it's six months. <laughs> it's either six months late or six months early they definitely they definitely extended their normal their normal season well obviously (laughs) you're very excited or they opened early but but that's just neither here nor there um but But it's a great little shop and the store clerk was very helpful picking helping us out to pick up some loose tea and i've never made loose tea before ever. yeah so we were not until yesterday what i would consider um loose tea guys i i think actually this may be only our first or second uh drink featured on the show that is not um an alcoholic beverage i think it's the first i think it's the first <laughs> i'm pretty sure this is our first non-alcoholic <laughs> beverages which we indulge in yeah, so From time to time. Right. So um it's uh we're having a very it's a very healthy tea. The uh golden starfruit uh blend tastes lovely. Uh, what do you think of it? I like it. I like um I usually drink tea at least twice a day. I'll have a cup in the afternoon. And it's kind of like my post lunch kind of treat for myself. And then I usually like to have a sleepy time or a pure chamomile before bed. Because I feel like get, uh, going to bed hydrated and the chamomile definitely helps sure. uh, me relax. So I do like tea, but this is the first time I've actually made loose tea. So we bought two tins of tea. We bought This is a green tea with um, kind of a fruity aftertaste. Mm-hmm. And then they have their own uh, calming blend. They have their own chamomile. It's called Relax Yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I did. I had some last night. It and was I, lovely, yeah. And I had I had a good night's sleep. I had some work stress dreams, but that's. <laughs> but I think I, I mean I can't ask the tea to fix that. that I mean that's right. a deeper problem within my brain. That's like a work on your. You need the work on yourself. Tea. I do. <laughs> I do. I, I had a dream. I was being given a task. And then someone was shaming me for it, but that, that's not the point of this podcast. And being non-responsive, probably while at no, there, no, it was in the dream. Someone was just shaming me oh, at work. Okay. It's okay. Well, I mean, that only happens sometimes at work. But, but, but I did sleep well. <laughs> I okay. woke up feeling very refreshed. So, well, that's so uh, if you're in New York City, please stop by Bryant Park and stop by the Spice Professors. They have great tea. They also have spices too. Yeah, I picked. I picked up. Blend. I picked up a jerk uh, spice blend. I picked up uh, an oh, and I picked up a uh, <laughs> uh, finding finding saffron uh, is pretty rare um, and it's quite expensive. I got a deal on a on a gram of saffron. It it was like the it, it had the when whenever you're talking about picking up a gram of something, it it, it has a little bit of an odd bent. But in this case, um, it for 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 us we. We get excited about a gram of saffron. So, <laughs> when you say saffron, I think of the actress Saffron Burroughs. Okay. Who was in the movie Deep Blue Sea, who, spoilers, 
she gets eaten by the shark at the end. Wow. Okay. That has something to do. I just that... like that's where my brain because when you say saffron, I think you think of the spice. Yes. But I think of this actress. I don't know what she's done lately. I think I'm gonna Google her right now. While we chat. Yeah, so um Yeah, you can I, you can fill this fifteen seconds. I with did banter. not um I did not free associate uh to an actress. Uh, mm-hmm. I definitely was talking about the spice. Uh there's a picture of her playing the cello. Maybe she plays cello in real life. I don't know. Uh okay. I just wanna see what she's done recently and then we can actually talk about oh she was on you you didn't watch that show no i i did not i don't remember her oh wait yeah she was the person's mom okay okay great this has nothing to do with anything i just i just needed a moment that was a that was a that was definitely a (laughs) sidetrack uh that was not a show you on netflix is really good too but we're not talking about that (laughs) and we're not talking about saffron burrows and no we're not going to talk about the saffron spice anyway unless they have a theater episode in which case we can do them eventually they have not yet okay all right and you you kind of have to watch from season one so i don't think it would be good for this podcast i hear you what we did watch today (laughs) back on track yeah that 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 was kind of the scenic route we watched family guy again season two episode seven the king is dead directed by monty young written by craig hoffman it originally aired on march 28 2000 again this is the episode where they do the king and i so before we get into the details of the episode let's talk about our background with Family Guy. So do do you remember when you first started watching Family Guy? You know, it's it's it. I want to say from the very beginning. I I feel like it didn't come out until we were already adults, right? So it came out in 1999. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I'm pretty sure I started watching it. Um, I, I started watching it when it came out. I don't think I was a hyper fan of it until um later i think it's one of those things you and i definitely watched a lot yeah, of together so over i remember the years. when the show premiered it was my 1999 oh, i would have been a sophomore in high school and i remember they paired it with the simpsons yep so i remember for a while fox was trying to whatever the next big thing after the simpsons would be their next big animated hit and they kind of had uh kind of soft hits like king of the hill was kind of a thing and uh futurama mm-hmm. was a soft hit but none of those shows lasted they lasted maybe seven or eight years but I, even fox still you see them coming out with these other animated shows around the simpsons and now family guy and most of them just aren't good like they just started a new one that we watched where it's just dogs oh where Lisa yeah Pedro plays <laughs> I'm sorry, it's such a bad show. It, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't like that. But So I feel like in the 90s, Fox was always trying to figure out what's going to be our next big animated hit to pair with The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. So this was one of their early attempts, and this was not a big hit right away. It ran from 1999 to 2002, and then it was canceled in 2002. Oh, that's right. So I would watch on and off. I always watched Simpsons. I watched Simpsons and X-Files, and I feel like Family Guy was just kind of sandwiched in there right. between the two, so I would always catch that. Where I think I got into <clears throat> Family Guy, and where a lot of people my age got into Family Guy, is that late at night on Cartoon Network in the early 2000s, would air the reruns. Yeah, that's so right. So I remember like weeknights after I'd finished doing homework or whatever like flipping the channels at 11 o'clock mm-hmm. there'd be reruns of family guy and it'd be like oh i remember this show it, it was like two or three seasons long and apparently that it, show was so highly rated on cartoon network that they brought it back they brought it back in 2005 and now it's been on it's been going straight now we're like since. in season i think 19 or 20 i don't know it's getting up there with the simpsons is is that it's kind of a mainstay uh, so I, I still watch it. And, and by its very nature, I've always found... So for... I, I'm sure most of the people who are listening have have at least seen an episode, but uh, the show's nature itself is very theatrical. Like, uh, anything Seth MacFarlane touches, uh, he, he himself is very musical, uh, very musically, a huge musical theater fan, mm-hmm. and he kind of brings it into every work oh, he yeah, does. Oh, yeah, even early Fame the Guy, they're making... This episode has so many theater references, oh, yes. obviously, but even other episodes have so many just very nuanced and niche theater references and Seth MacFarlane is a singer he actually released I think a jazz album like 10 years ago oh, wow. he kind of shoves himself in there but he actually has a really good singing voice mm-hmm. which he demonstrates in this episode um 
This is also a very early Family Guy. And yeah. This episode feels so different than what Family Guy is now. Oh, sure. Because Family Guy now is just joke, 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 joke. These aren't even real characters. Like, <laughs> you, you can't feel for Lois anymore or for Meg because they're not real people. They're, right. They're just conduits for comedy. But you can tell in these early Family Guys, they're still trying to make basically everyone but Peter, even Peter, kind of sympathetic or at least have kind of semblance of human emotions rather than an arc and an arc and emotional growth where they all the family cares about each other at the end of the day Mm -hmm. whereas now they are literally all trying to murder it's all (laughs) it's all poop jokes and segues it's all jokes like (laughs) it's a very now a modern family guy is very a very thin plot with a lot of callbacks and non sequiturs and silliness but but these early episodes kind of threw me for for a turn when you're actually seeing characters having emotional arcs and growing, which is not what Family Guy is now. Right. So Peter, you know, even at the beginning of this, after he fails to impress his boss with toy ideas, you know, for him to have sort of a creative, um, maybe not midlife crisis, but like a creative uh, crisis where he's like, I'm not creating anything. Or that Lois is like, caring about peter's feelings right like she's being delicate nowadays lois would they would just run each other over with a car <laughs> that would be how lois would would solve her problems with peter but before we get into that let's talk about the king and i of okay it all. um i think we have similar backgrounds with this show my i never saw this show until i think we saw it together on broadway right in 2015 that's that's been my only king and i that was at uh, lincoln that was center. the lincoln center yeah. we saw the lincoln center revival i thought that revival was beautiful it was very well done i liked it that's my only it was wonderful. my only background yeah. i've seen it once and the production i saw i liked i don't i don't have any other history with it yeah. i saw it when i was in my 30s so I... yeah and we saw it right um you know the only it was, yeah, it was a really I, great i touch production. on this i touch on this a little later uh in my notes um but there's a lot of community theaters across the country who try to put this up, and there's very specific reasons why. Yes, um... yes, yes. <laughs> this is a show that got done a lot when I was a young and in community theater. Yeah. I was personally not in it. Thank God, because <laughs> I have, I, I, I don't have to scrub those pictures from the you are internet. Not, you were not trying to get canceled. No, but uh, let, let's get into we'll, it. We'll get into it. So the show opens with a random non sequitur. I don't know why I'm cleaning this clip. It's so stupid about a fish caught in ice. It was a moving scene today at Hatch Pond as six members of the Pawtucket Fire Department struggled valiantly to save the life of a fish trapped under the frozen ice. Rescue workers managed to get the fish out of the water, but unfortunately, it died shortly after. Diane? Well, Tom, another life was tragically cut short today. Robert Kimball, founder of a local theater group known as the Quahog Players, passed away this afternoon. Oh, my God. Okay, so I'm going to stop it right there. This is the great <laughs> place to stop this clip. So we learn that Robert Kimball is dead. I'm going to quickly talk about what happens next and we're not going to talk about it anymore that he is the owner of a theater company and that last year he put himself in Miss Saigon and we're not playing that clip so let's oh see what happens God. next no I was just I, I, I did touch on it and I'm like this sadly this sort of thing does happen um in in like yes. for the for the most part we don't have to talk about what this what, clip what, we don't have to deep dive the mm-hmm. clip but there is there's some there's some lines in theater. There's some, and, and not just not just spoken lines. Uh, no, there are there are some some ground lines rules. Lines of cocaine and get sniffed after each. I don't. Know. Oh my! Sorry, um, I took over your bit. Go no, ahead. no, I was just saying. Um, there are definitely, you know, when you're the director, you should really only be the director. Um, you know, unless you've got, you know, a lot of. <laughs> yeah, the, really, the, the the staff roles in a in a theater company are there for a reason. Uh, they can be bent to a degree. Um, you know, with the with the right um, help, with the right intentions, with the right additional staff, um, but um, this this what they reference in this clip that we're not playing um, is is really um, you know that that archetype of yeah I I'm the president of the company and I'm also going to be directing uh, the musical while conducting the musical oh and also singing every part of the musical uh, as as the female lead when I'm you know not appropriate that that sort of idea so mm-hmm. yeah a lot of people cast themselves in parts that they shouldn't be playing. Uh, so Lois is asked to be the director, and I. What is really funny is everyone's 
waiting for her response, and you cut to the news anchors, and somehow they've <laughs> broken through the fourth wall, and they're also... And they have a picture of her with her phone. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was really funny, and then it's announced that Lois is taking over the Kohawk community players, and then, I felt like this is true, Brian oh, all yes. of a sudden has to be like, well, Lois, da-da-da-da-da, Brian is sucking up to Lois. And that is exactly, <laughs> uh, so there is always that friend, uh, that actor buddy, uh, when he finds out that you recently took over a theater company or finds out that uh, you've been selected to direct a piece uh, is way more friendly with you than normal and all of a sudden wants to do lunch every day until auditions. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do like, uh, Meg makes a joke about being in it and then what's it, Stewie says, are you going to be the dumpy teenager who sits backstage and cries? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I think Which I think I... that was me during my high school experience so I'm going to relate to that. Uh <laughs> One thing that was confusing about this episode, so in the first season of Family Guy, Meg was voiced by uh, Lacey Chabert, and then Mila Kunis takes over in season two. IMDb lists Mila Kunis as the voice of Meg in this episode, but this does not sound like Mila Kunis. This sounds hmm. like Meg 1.0, and they're crediting Meg 2.0. Wow. I could deep dive this further. I just don't want to. I just thought it was weird. Anyway, we go on to the next scene, and for no reason at all, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Peter's giving a presentation to the toy company board, uh, Mr. Zucchini, which basically looks like a penis. with <laughs> like, little, a, like a dildo? Yeah. yeah. And, then, <laughs> and it has a vibrate section uh, on see, the back. <laughs> Mr. Weed is kind of played as like a very stereotypical gay man. I thought that Mr. Weed would like be into this toy, but he just, sho- I guess, shoves Peter out. I'd best, we're setting up that Peter is not getting respect at work. So maybe that's why Peter is latching on to this theater company, because he doesn't right. feel like he's getting the well, respect and he Mr. needs at his job. And Mr. Weed was into the toy, just not um. Oh yeah, he a... says he's going <laughs> to see it later, but uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's a it's, gross joke. It's... I believe that Mr. Weed later dies on this show. Oh, he does. Yeah, uh, that's right. R.I.P. Mr. Weed. Uh, then we cut back to the house. Uh, what did I put down? I put down Lois House Mindless Jobs. I don't know what that means. Oh, she was referencing uh, all of the different super creative folks in the world who... Oh, had, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's the cutaway. Yeah, we see cutaways and it's... Yeah, yeah, I, I was going to play that clip, but I don't want to. I didn't think it was that funny. Um, <laughs> Brian is still sucking up and then Lois decides that she's going to do The King and I. And then, okay, I made this note. There is a great cutaway to God creating... Shrinky Dinks, and I was so happy someone remembers Shrinky Dinks. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember this from the eighties? I do not. You don't. Okay. What is a Shrinky Dink? Oh my god! So this is why I made the note. So there was <laughs> literally a toy in the eighties. I'm gonna Google it right now. It was called Shrinky Dinks. What they were were they were little cutout pieces of paper. Okay. And they would be like Ninja Turtles or Strawberry Shortcake or. Care Bears, whatever was popular, and literally all you did is that your parents put them in the oven after you cut them out. Uh, where is this? Oh, and it redirected me to Etsy, and Etsy, oh, there it is. Yeah, so here's what it is. Actually, this is an old toy. You color it. Okay. I guess you color it, and then you put it in the oven, and it shrinks. And that's it. That's the toy? That's it. No, it's a piece of paper that shrinks. Because I, I have a vivid memory of being young and at my grandma's house. And I guess she got them for us and put her in the oven. And she's like, and now they're small. And I remember looking at my grandma and I was like, and now what? <laughs> like, what comes next? And she's like, oh, now they're small. And I'm like, what do I do with them? And she said, you play with them. Hooray. And I'm like, well, is it? Is it just that they're small? Is that the gimmick? And she's like, yes, they used to be big. And now they're small. <laughs> oh, my God. And it's like, I'm going to go play Nintendo. So anyway, it, but the funny thing about Shrinky Dinks is that they were encouraging children to play with the oven, which in general is not something that you should do. But the adult had to put them in the oven. But I, I don't know. Or in, it this, was or in this case, toy. or in this case, God. <laughs> What kind of god would create a toy like that? I think that's the work of the devil. Um, anyway. So before, so are we at a place where, yeah, I think we are. Um, so let's talk 
at least so Lois makes this decision to that her first project as artistic director for the Quahog Players is to stage a production of The King and I. How so? Um, <laughs> how are they going to cast that in Quahog? Well, there's <laughs> Without, so many people um, of Thai descent. <laughs> yeah, I so. I no, no. I totally believe this because The King and I, up until I would say a couple years ago, was a staple of community theater, just like all of the Rodgers and Hammerstein oeuvre of work. So, so in 1999, I 100% believe that the Quahog community players would do The King and I, just like. All of the community theaters we used to work at did King and I, I in the 90s. I can tell you right off the top of my head, there's a little theater I know quite well in Pennsylvania where they totally had the king played by a... It, it's It was played totally by a white guy with a shaved head. So I remember when I was 17, I was doing Christmas Carol in a community theater. And there was this like stage mom who had this... It was at the auditions. And she had this like little kid with her. She was a blonde lady. Her kid was blonde, but she had dyed his hair jet black because she wanted her little Aryan child no. to be in a community theater production of King and I. You're kidding. Like, dyed a five year old's hair like from root to Wait, she wanted it. him to be one of like the Siamese yes. children? Oh yeah. No. And she but she wanted him to be oh. Tiny Tim. And oh, I, but Lord. he didn't get cast, but I remember you know when you're young and things just rub you the wrong way you're mm-hmm. like this feels weird but no one's saying no one else but my like inner monologue is thinking that this is strange well what i don't think you should be coloring kids hairs like children's for for a hair. role unless unless they're well, professional in general, like unless they're professional actors or whatever but like, yeah, it, not it, for it, not for a community theater project, not for like training theater. Or but I would like say that. until a couple years ago, it was commonplace for community theaters just to cast white people as Asians. Yeah, uh, uh, just just don't do it. Just don't. I think we're getting to the point in theater where we're learning that people should not be cast in races that are not their own right right you know especially if you're representing a cultural experience you know as, as a part it, of the artistic it's a culture piece. that has been traditionally been oppressed uh-huh. in your white just we're, we're not and I, there's so many play like you there depend- were even even talking about family guy and simpsons to make it full circle starting last season it took them until 2020 now there's a rule at fox where all characters who are voice actors have to be voiced by the race that they're playing. So, for example, Dr. Hibbert on The Simpsons right. is now an African-American. Uh, Cleveland is Cleveland Brown on Family Guy mm-hmm. is now voiced by an African-American. Same thing on um, The Simpsons. The Latino characters are played by people of Latin descent. Like that, that just was a rule that started this past year. So, that's, so if we're going back to 2000 when the show, when this show aired... Like, it's actually not out of the realm of belief that people would be uh, casting. Yeah, yeah, that or... that totally, you know, was a, a product of its time, if you exactly, will. Exactly, exactly. Um, so let's get to the next scene, which is the auditions, where we hear Brian singing. I think that that song's from Camelot. I think so. Yes. Yeah, I think I had to sing that in a voice lesson one. I didn't want to sing it. I think because <laughs> my teacher made like, "You have to go buy the Robert Goulet CD and listen oh, to it." Oh no! I was like, uh, "I'd rather not." Robert uh, Goulet. Yeah, yeah, he's he's good. <laughs> and, and actually, uh, Brian ends up getting cast as the king. The which, king. Yeah. I guess he's a dog, so that's okay. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's <laughs> like uh, yeah, I, I guess. Well, the funny thing is, is Brian keeps sucking up to Lois, but it turns out Brian, I guess, is just talented enough that yeah, he could have got it. Yeah, he would have got it, it on his own. And then we get to Stewie is auditioning, and I had to ask you, because I actually didn't know what the speech was from. <laughs> I I did. Uh, I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, I'm not going to play the clip. But oh, it's, um, you're not? I'm going to okay. play his, his reaction. Uh, <laughs> uh, now is the winter of our discontent, right? And that's yeah, from... Yeah, that's from uh, yeah, Richard the Third. 
Okay, yeah, actually, that I did not know that until you told me. But actually, I think his reaction uh, is funnier than his speech. How dare you reduce my finely hewn thespian styling to mere mother gooseries? Oh, sing Baba Black Sheep. You know, Mother, as First Lady of the American stage, Helen Hayes once <laughs> said, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, season one to Stewie, where his whole thing was he just wanted to kill Lois. Right. And I think they realized that they, there's only so far that they could go with it's that kind joke. Of, there's a lot of theater Easter eggs in this episode. And first of all, it's very apropos that Stewie would use a Richard the Thir- Richard the Third speech uh, for his audition for the King and I that that totally tracks, um, but it's also extremely um, on brand f- for Richard the Third for his 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 reaction was also very Richard the Third. He's like, oh, you you told me something I didn't like. I'll kill you. You know, it's just very oh, okay. in I a British like, accent. It's I just like, like hey, was, that. does that count as a reach around? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I'm not as familiar with. Richard the Third, as you are, yeah. so did Richard the Third want to kill people? Uh, he killed a lot of people. <laughs> okay, yeah. so sure. In, that... in the now, now I I want to preface that with uh, I'm going with the Shakespeare play, not necessarily historical. Uh, he definitely was in war enough to have killed a lot of people, um, but some of that is histor- Some of the murders he's uh, associated with, uh, some of the murders he's associated with, um, are how do I put this? Uh, historically in dispute. Okay, I'm glad you cleared that up. Uh, <laughs> then Peter comes in auditions, and he sings a song. I had no idea what the song was, but then I figured it out that I guess it's the theme song to the original Land of the Lost. Oh, okay. So there's two Land of the Lost. There, I guess there was a 60s show, and then there was the Nickelodeon. Do you remember the Nickelodeon reboot? Yeah, didn't that have, as the adult, uh, the father, um, somebody that I'm familiar with, um, the same guy who did Step by Step? It was not Patrick Duffy. I was not. Okay. You know, uh, Patrick Duffy standards may not be that high, but Patrick Duffy did not have to reduce himself to doing a daytime Nickelodeon reboot of a 60s trash TV show. Uh, Patrick Duffy was riding high on those step-by-step checks. I don't know why I'm standing for Patrick Duffy at this moment, but no, that was not... Patrick Duffy. Uh, Amazing. You know, he got to make out with Suzanne Summers uh, once a week for for <laughs> nine years straight. So so good for him. Um, the cast list goes up. Joe is choreographing the show. Sure. Wait, wait. Sure. Yeah, I, so I had to talk about go, that. Go but it. can we also talk about the skill set that Peter, excuse me, the skill set that Seth MacFarlane demonstrates here? I, I find sing, there's, a, there's a place you get to as a singer, I think, especially if you're constantly in vocal lessons and working on your voice. If somebody on cue asks me, the one thing I struggle with in, in singing is when somebody asks me to on cue sing badly on purpose, like to sing off key. And we know based on Brian's audition, which is also played by Seth, Seth MacFarlane, um, mm-hmm. he's got an awesome baritone voice. So I, I'm always impressed, like I'm impressed with his bad audition too, uh, because it's, it's very, it's kind of hard to, to sing bad when you're naturally, mm-hmm. when, when you're A, naturally gifted with it but be also extremely well practiced as he is Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. so and then you said you just touched on it um yeah so joe uh the paraplegic is the choreographer you know what sure maybe he has dance training before he was injured in the line of duty yeah Uh, yeah they make a weird something about mary skit with stewie who's a baby i thought that was weird yeah that didn't (laughs) that didn't age well I'm just gonna. I don't. I hate that movie. I hated oh, that you know, movie when it came out. Everyone thought it was the funniest thing, but it was all I'm just like. I've never been a big fan of Ben Stiller. He's just kind of. Well, I mean, there's a certain type of Ben Stiller movie that he was making in the '90s, but like, in the '90s, it was all Ben Stiller was like, oh, every joke can be about dicks and semen, and you know, everyone can be just covered in cum, and oh, that can be yeah. a joke. So they get to that with the baby. It's gross. Um, they post the cast list so i actually would love to see this play where brian the dog is the <laughs> king of siam and loretta who's an african-american woman is anna sure yeah i i, I I'm, I'm, like, with, I'm with it i like that lois actually cast based on talent though. yes i will say it was probably the most talented male and the most talented female she gave the leads roles to so, so good for her um 
she doesn't cast Peter, but she <laughs> she tries to kind of fool Peter, saying, "Well, you're not gonna be in the show. You're gonna be the producer. The yeah. producer is the most important role. You have to fill all these seats." Which is kind of the joke where being a producer can kind of just mean you're doing whatever needs to be done. Yep. Yeah. Like there is there's, there's no <laughs> uh, it's real vi- description, at least in theater, and I'm sure in TV film, yes. In terms of a theater producer, like you can do very little and still get a producer credit the job description is is kind of vague um i having learned this lesson myself um numerous times um you see here what you see here with lois and peter is a classic example of um how when somebody has a bad audition or somebody that you care about um is not being cast your idea is well i'll get them some uh, i'll talk them into a crew position or i'll talk them into producing the whole show for them it never works out like the the it's well, i think not... lois because she's married to peter right so right. she if he were just a regular actor she could just cut him and she would never have to see him again right but since she's married to him she's in a difficult situation where she has to see him every day so she's again this is season two lois season yeah Thirty-one Lois would have just, just hit him, hit him with a car. <laughs> like that would have been. They would have just murdered each other. And then... had a had a had a five-minute like slap down, drag out, beat up, break yeah. the house fight, and then everything's fine two seconds later. Yeah, but she's in a tough position because she's trying to not hurt his feelings, but also really doesn't want him involved. Um, so then we get to the next scene where they're in rehearsal. Joe is choreographing the best that he can. And then I just put down talking penguin discussion that I wanted to play for some reason. My feet and one, two, three. Peter, Chris says you told him to build a set for the North Pole. Yeah, that's where Anna goes to talk with her best friend, a penguin. There is no talking penguin in The King and I. There is in Peter Griffin Presents The King and I. What? Now we just got to think of some wicked funny stuff for him to say. Peter, the director decides whether or not to add a character. You're the producer, remember? Well, what am I supposed to do with all my great ideas? Put them in a tub and clean myself with them? Because that's what soap is for, Lois. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Okay. <laughs> such, a, such a stupid line, but... Okay, so here's where I'm going to fact check the show. And I, I get fact checking... Family Guy is really shooting fish in a barrel (laughs) because it's a cartoon and even on a less realistic level than The Simpsons. So once you purchase the rights for a play, Uh like The King and I, which if it's Shakespeare, if it's not, if it's in public domain, Shakespeare, Marlowe, Greek tragedies... Um, basically if it's older than a hundred years, we, we've kind of talked about this. You can make a change. You yeah. can cut a line. You could add a penguin. You could add Romeo and Juliet. You can add your own speeches. Yeah. You can do whatever you want. If this were the Romeo and Juliet, Juliet could have a talking penguin. It would be a, a choice, but you could do that and not get in legal trouble. But if you apply for the rights to a musical like The King and I, mm-hmm. or any musical that you have to apply rights to, legally you have to perform... <laughs> Every line as as written. written. So when Lois says it's the director's job to decide if a character gets added, uh, in this case, no, Lois. No one can add a character. This is already breaking the rules. I mean, she, in theory, this is not to contradict anything you said because you're 100% accurate. Um, With large musicals like that, like The King and I, she could, in theory, uh, add additional non-speaking, add additional uh, chorus members, uh, extra singers, and the like. She could add a penguin. She could in add the a chorus. She could add a penguin in the chorus, but she could not give him dialogue. She she could not give Mister Penguin any dialogue or change the story in any way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so as soon as uh, literally, um, as as a as a producer, um, the the first thing that came through my my brain when uh, i she, when she said well the director can change i was like yeah you're gonna get an email from your your publishing house <laughs> I, I will say maybe to bounce back this took place in 2000 so if this play was not publicized on the internet she might get away with it because in there Hulk, are Hulk, oh yeah there are instances where community theaters have changed things and made like i've heard of stories of them just adding a song from another musical to a Another, just because they felt like it. Uh, so in the year 2000, when social media wasn't a thing, when the internet wasn't a big of a thing, she she probably could have been, gotten away with making a stupid change. Nowadays, if word got out to the licensing house, they would have called her up and been like, 
either do the play word for word or we're pulling the rights. Or we pull the rights. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, Okay, so we move on. The next scene, Peter decides that in order to sell the show, he needs the local news anchors to be in the <laughs> show, which is not that far of a stretch. It really because isn't. Because <laughs> I've been in some plays with some local news anchors. Spoilers, they are just people with jobs. And <laughs> when you live in a small town, they seem like they are big celebrities. I hate to say it, they are mini- not minimum wage, but they are middle... They're, they're, they're making... One of my uh, middle class salaries, and they are people with jobs. And I'll say the ones that we know personally are lovely. They're uh, all great. No, I'm not talking. <laughs> I'm not talking crap about them. I'm just saying that I, I could understand from a marketing standpoint to be like, oh, it's going to be a big get to get a local news anchor to be in this play. Yeah, but, but they are just people with jobs, and a lot of them do like performing. Like yeah. they, they're they have the job that they have because they like being on camera so that that skill does translate to the stage yeah so I I mean, get, every I get... once in a while you get that um uh and this isn't for this was a wasn't any of the theaters we worked with or uh any of the folks that we know personally but um you do sometimes run risk when when casting um news personalities uh, because they're they're performing the role that you've assigned them but they're also their personality on the on the tele on on their news program you know with their local you know they they have their own local following and the way they use their speech patterns so there's definitely a small history of you know them finishing a line and then turning to the audience and you know sort of giving their uh yeah i mean performing in front of a camera and performing on stage are two different skill sets right right so making being good at one doesn't automatically mean you're going to be good at the other so it, you know it's like anyone who's new to the stage, you know, you kind of have to adapt to that different style. Um, then we see Diane and Tom Tucker announcing <laughs> the news on air. Oh, Peter. Our top story tonight. I will be playing the role of Anna in the Quahog Players production of The King and I. Tom? Thanks, Diane. In other news, I won't be going to the play because I'm sure it will be lousy. Tom, I'm getting late word that you're a petty, jealous closet case. Bit of breaking news. We now go live to Diane being a bitch, Diane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the throwback. I love that line I love it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's so newscaster. Okay, Anna, I feel so sad for Loretta. Like, I know she's not a real person, but she is playing Anna, and now she gets bumped. Being the lead and not even getting a phone call first like that was bad form on uh on um peter's part it's not unheard of uh especially in professional theater but you know to make a casting choice and then it doesn't work out and you need to recast but there's definitely a way to handle it i mean that's i've heard that in like broadway where they hire someone and it's just not working out right in a professional setting they just buy them out of their contract and be like okay now you're replaced with this person in community theater i'm sure it happens it's it's just shady uh they mentioned that diane has done an indie film in college where it they showed it black and white and she's passed out and hung over and a, a clown is flipping for pancake, like a flipping pancake. <laughs> for for reasons i feel like I i've know. seen that film i feel Probably. like i feel like i've seen that indie film yeah yeah uh then we get to the next scene at the house and peter and lois are talking about his choices and now he wants to put Anna in capri pants. A little hippie, you know? I, I was thinking we could dress her on a pair of sequin capri pants. Peter, they didn't have capri pants in the 1860s. They did now. Ah, you! You are the worst thing to happen to musical theater since Andrew Lloyd Webber. That's a very inside sports joke about <laughs> uh, crapping on Andrew Lloyd Webber. Because for, like, theater enthusiasts, th- there's some kind of theater snobs who think that Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals are just kind of hacky commercial but right. I, I like andrew lloyd webber i'm not gonna lie <laughs> yeah i think you're either a fan or or not um you know i i, I he was probably andrew lloyd webber musicals were probably my first intro to musicals. oh mine too you know it was I mean, phantom, phantom it was, was the first big show that jesus I, christ superstar i mean phantom was the first like big professional show i saw i saw that in uh toronto and then a couple of years later i saw it on broadway but okay. that was the first Phantom was the first uh, CD of a musical that I think I ever listened to that wasn't a Disney musical. Right. That I, I, up to, before Phantom, I didn't even know what uh, musicals were that weren't cartoons. So I think, I think you can like them both. I think you can like Android Webber and you can like the classics that liking one doesn't mean you can't enjoy the other. So 
take it down a notch, Stewie. You suck. <laughs> uh, then now theater, uh, now theater, now Peter. Peter has become insufferable. I love how we know that Peter's uptight because he's wearing a black turtleneck. Well, he's he's a theater person now, so of yeah, course he, he wears right. a black turtleneck. Well, in the '90s, if you were a theater person. You wore a black turtleneck, and you smoked a cigarette on a long holder, and you drank cappuccino. And he's and missing the scarf. You have to have, like, the, the lightweight... The, the scarf or the beret. Or the beret, or the yes. Other. Make art. Oh, art smart. Put enough monkeys in a room with a typewriter, they'll produce Shakespeare. Uh, let's see, a something by any other name. Hmm. Carnation, peony? Now they did that on last week's Marlowe. Oh. What about uh, Daisy? Chrysanthemum. <laughs> Iris? Yeah. Rose? What about Rose? 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 Did you say Rose? Yeah. Rose. Rose, is uh, Rose by any other name. Yeah, that, that oh, works. Like All right. Okay. All right, Rose. moving on. Hey, what about Tula? Rose is fine. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> How many writing rooms have you been in like yeah. that? Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel like that is the writers of that show bitching about their own experience about their lives yeah so you finally get some you finally decide on an idea with the script and then someone has to backtrack be like let's do this what about this idea no No. but there there is an anecdote i don't know where it came from where it'd be if you put monkeys in a room with a typewriter eventually they'll produce shakespeare do you remember do you ever heard that i have i I always found it to be a little silly no i think it's like uh I forget what the point of that quote is. It's, but well, it's like it's like sti- it's like statistically speaking, with enough time. Exactly. Enough time. If you have enough time to do anything, a monkey could write Shakespeare. Right. And that was in that one play that I was in. Uh, all in the timing. Oh the yeah. Acts, it, there's one of the acts that's called words, 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 where it's uh, three monkeys like writing Shakespeare. Uh, so you, that's a little headiness from this episode. I, I feel like that's such a Seth MacFarlane line and that is from his direct experience probably writing this show uh then we get to i guess it's three hours before curtain <laughs> he's made another change which i loved where it now sends it's flash dance oh my god and diane is a steel town girl uh and then everyone quits because peter is just too controlling and then let's hear because theater is alive. It's a living, breathing creature with wants and needs, and you're not man enough to satisfy her. I can't work this way. I quit. Fine. We can't do the King and I without Anna. Yeah, this is a real snafu. We don't need Diane Simmons. We've had someone better all along. Someone radiant and sassy, with a soul and a passion that can only come from hundreds of years of black oppression. Oh, thank you, Peter. I'll do it. Get over yourself. I was talking about me. Oh, poor Loretta. <laughs> this is like the third time in this episode that Loretta has gotten screwed over. I also noticed that this is the only time that I've seen Loretta played as nice. Um, you know, like, she's usually portrayed as just being kind of mean to Cleveland. Yeah, she's mean to Cleveland in one episode, and then she ends up cheating on Cleveland with Quagmire. Oh, that's right. And then she dies. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and then the reason that she died was because Alex Borstein, he does the voice of Lois, was also doing Loretta. Okay. But I guess it hurt her voice too much to do the Loretta. To go down that. Okay. Um, it's also probably good because Alex Borstein is white. Yes. And so it, it, it all... That worked out for the best. It all worked out, but that's why that character really wasn't a thing. Uh, then we get to opening night... And we see what this play has become, and I'm just going to play the clip. Sure. I mean, if I just came here to enjoy watching your father be humiliated when this asinine spectacle of his is ridiculed by everyone in town, what kind of person would I be? Oh, bitch. (laughs) Siam, 2015 AD. The city lies in ruins after the ninth nuclear... Oh, can I stop? Yeah. This takes place in 2015. So this <laughs> this takes place six years ago. Oh wow! It's uh, it's. Deep. Well, I didn't. I didn't even catch that joke because this show aired in 2000. So he said in 2015, and in 15 years, it's going to be. It's all going to be a nuclear wasteland. Yeah, I don't know. I just I just picked up on that joke <laughs> right now. Anyway, we'll keep going. World War. It is a grim future. With lots of explosions and partial nudity. A future where an oppressive new king has seized power. Only one man can stop it. No, 
one machine. I am an automaton nuclear neo-human android. You may call me Anna. I am a robot ninja from the planet England who is here to destroy you and free this land from your tyranny. I've been expecting you, Anna. Allow me to introduce my Siamese children. be swayed by your attempts to confuse my programming with your all-female sex orgy. We must come full fight. So be it, Anna. I have slain the evil emperor. I hereby proclaim Siam the United States of America. Anna rules. Cause I kicked all the bad guys in their jewels. Anna won. Thanks to my gamma ray atomic gun. That's a shout. He's the world's greatest ninja, there's no doubt. Though they try to defeat me, they can all just freaking eat me. Cause he blew all of us away. In the planet of Siam, there's no one as tough as I am. Just as surely as Poland was gay. And the audience loves it. That's the ironic part. Was that it? it <laughs> I actually would go see that it, show. It worked. Um, <laughs> With yeah. three hours to go, Peter really put together a show. Put together something. I, so I'll say that uh, you have to at least hand it to Peter for sheer spectacle. Uh, there's uh, th- that's the I, I'm not necessarily the type of artist that's like let's put robots in everything. But I will say that um, I I do appreciate uh, a good um, you know setting something in the future or uh doing something off the wall like that did you catch the easter eggs i don't think you did um so the outfit that he has brian in and the uh, the, the green uh, outfit and is that is that dune related no oh, it's shit. it's and the intro with the it's 2000 da 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 and uh-huh. it's uh the world is war and all that jazz he, these are and and his ar- armor being all gold this is flash gordon He's, oh, these, these are Flash okay. Gordon. These are Flash Gordon Easter eggs. I didn't get that at all. I've never seen anything Flash Gordon related. So <laughs> it's only yeah. Went, when I saw the Brian as the king, it it gave me Dune vibes, like with it, the Emperor. Yeah. One thing that I learned about this episode that I didn't know until the viewing is uh, that song Anna rules because <laughs> he kicked all the bad guys in their jewels is kind of a parody of. Shall we dance? Shall oh. we da 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 da? Shall we dance? So, oh my gosh! So he is kind of keeping in line with the King and I theme, and that the fact he's in a what does he call it? Um, what is it an acronym for? American Nuclear something oh, Annihilation. Is that what, oh, I see. I'm Anna, and then it, oh, he's a ninja android. Yeah, yeah, yeah Android yeah. Uh, nuclear ninja exactly. and assassin. Oh, okay. I don't know where all these bikini girls and like dancers <laughs> as men. the Siamese as the Siamese children. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd like to say maybe Quagmire had a hand in that and oh. like calling up some um, friends Uh-oh. to come down. <laughs> I, I don't know. I will. I will say for Peter, he he had a vision and he committed to it. Yeah. Like, this was the version of King and I he wanted to do, and he did it. And the audience liked it. And, it was a thing. And him and Lois, uh, you know, found their way, you know, uh, I, I felt bad at the end. Uh, you know, she, he sort of got to have his artistic fulfillment, and she didn't get to have hers. Yeah, well, let's hear their final speech. Sure. Man, what a night. I got to see my ideas come to life. That's the greatest feeling in the world. Yeah, I bet it is. And it's all thanks to you. I never would have discovered I could be creative if you hadn't believed in me. Well, actually, I didn't really. Not at first, but anyone who could take the king and I and turn it into that is, well, he's got to be creative. <laughs> yeah, Lois, uh, sorry I took your show away from you. But I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure you get your chance next year. It'll be Peter Griffin Presents, a Lois Griffin production. Okay, honey? Deal. Okay, Aww. so again, this is very early Family Guy where it ends on an emotional moment rather than Peter throwing her out the window or <laughs> vice versa or her. Or, or a chicken running on and starting a five minute fight scene. Yeah, but I, I do like what Lois said is that, well, you know, you took the King and I and you turned it into something. It that's, something. that's creative. That's, yeah. that's art. 
Yes, it was definitely uh, avant-garde, to say the least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I guess, you know, Peter gets the artistic fulfillment of seeing his creation come to life. And again, poor Lois, she, she kind of gets nothing. Yeah, yeah. She gets to be jealous and petty for he gets half to have, this episode. He gets to have his, his you know, sort of semi-arc here, and she, you know, kind of just uh, ends up disappointed, but, uh, you know assured by him that uh he'll get he'll take care of her next year only to learn like we've watched the show since then um they they don't come back to the quahog players as far as i know no an early family guy we know that lois is a piano teacher and she had always dreamed of being a concert pianist and then married peter and had kids kind of like marge simpson like yeah yeah trip with the wife who's an artist who kind of gives it up uh so we we don't really see that with lois Especially in the later seasons. And even her voice just gets so nasally. And Peter! It becomes, <laughs> she becomes a parody. I'm holding tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but but I kind of, I like that version of Lois, who is an artist and a creator and kind of wants everyone to enjoy art rather than kind of just, now she's just the female Peter, who's just kind of right. gross. <laughs> gross too. But overall, it's a good episode. Um... Probably the silliest one we've talked about, and probably the far, but not too off the mark. Like, the more we discuss these, the more we're like, oh, these are all kind of rooted in things that do happen in community that, theater, whether or not they should. Yeah. Um, but it's a fun episode. They're, tro- like they're tropes that happen i think on the small scale uh and that are that are um so not well okay some are uh re- some of the ones we talked about today uh you know like uh like peter uh walking in and saying uh oh this is just a formality since i'm doing the director uh i mean do things like that happen uh yeah they they do um <laughs> so um yeah and it's it so that one wasn't even that exaggerated, but uh, um, I will say for the most part, these are just uh, colorful things that the show has sort of um, uh, inflated to a right. degree, you know, uh, as, to punch up the humor. final thoughts on this episode before we wrap up? I guess we my, got in under an hour. I, like, that was, a, that was a, a quick one. I'm amazed. Um, I will say... Uh, I hope that next time Peter directs, maybe he chooses uh, something in the public domain, maybe Shakespeare. Uh, Shakespeare could always use some more robot assassins. I don't know if we ever see Family Guy do a play. They do a lot of references to musicals. I right. don't know if we ever see him or any other the family, like an episode where they're in a play, maybe. Right. I can't think of it. Anyway, if you know of another family guy where they're in a play, please let us know. Or if you know of another episode of a TV show where the characters are in a play and you want to hear us talk about it for an hour, please send us those suggestions to spiritsandchatpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on social media. We are on both Facebook and Instagram. Our artwork is by Molly Roth, and our theme music is written and composed by Mickey Hommel. If you have the time, we would really appreciate it if you would give us a five-star rating and or a review on whatever platform you are listening to this on. A five-star review, especially on the Apple platform, will really help us with our visibility. Until next time, I am Matt Pullman. And I'm Jonathan Emerson. And remember, break Break a a leg. leg!